Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Hey, I love um, that this year, Pastor Jared has said this is the year of the table. I love that. One, because I'm a foodie. If there is a party, I'm always by the table eating the food. But also I love that the table represents a place where we come and we connect. You know, at the end of a busy day, at the end of a busy week, we come and we connect and we come as we are and we ask each other really. It goes beyond, the conversation goes beyond surface level and it goes, how are you really? Yeah, it's a place where, um, you know, where we, where we eat and we're nourished and we're fed. I love that and I'm excited about that this year. You know, growing up, I am from a family of eight, so I had five older sisters, nearly got that wrong, five older sisters, and so our dining room table looked like this, and there was always a lot of people sitting around it, and I loved dinner time, because I loved that it was the time when all of my sisters, I was the youngest, so I loved when my sisters came home from work or whatever, we got to hang out and have fun. I loved it. But it was also the time where my mum and dad would kind of critique me or correct me on my eating like, what's the word, etiquette, yeah, and my speaking. <laughs> so that was the time where my dad, my dad, lovely man, but he's big on grammar and he's big on, on table manners. And so I'd be sitting at the table using my knife and fork and he'd be like, Amber, elbows in, you're not a chicken. And then I'd have my fingers in my mouth. He's like, Amber, get your fingers out of your mouth. And then I'd be talking and I'd be like, I'm a very talk, like action, action-y person. Like I'm a, I use, what's the word? I use my hands when I talk. So while I'm talking, I've got my knives and forks up and around. He's like, Amber, put your knives and forks down when, you talk, when you're eating. I mean, when you're talking. Um, and he would be always like, he's like, like. He says, Amber, don't say like. It's not like a chicken. It's a chicken. And he'd say things like, oh, like, gosh, it's water, not water. Because I'd say, can I have the water? And he's like, Amber, it's water, not water. And so even to this day, I like, I think about this. This is what I go home and see my mum and dad and they're like, he's like, water. It's not water, it's water. But um, sometimes I got fed up with being critiqued and corrected. And so I do something to um, deliberately go against what they were telling me to do. So my mum made a salad one time. It often backfired. Um, my mum made a salad t- and one time and she put raw chicken, uh, no, not, not chicken, carrot. Not raw chicken. Raw carrot sticks, raw carrot sticks in the salad. And um, I was just like picking it up with my fork and shoving it in my mouth. And she's like, Amber, use your knife and fork, cut up your carrots. I was like, Mom, it's fine. And I shoved a carrot stick in my mouth and it literally like clamped my mouth open. I'm like, and I had to, I, I couldn't let her see that I'd like done the opposite and then got myself in trouble. So I ran away and hid and tried to yank it out of my mouth. But anyway. We've all had different experiences at the dinner table. I'm talking too much. Some of us have had good experiences and some of us have had not so good experiences, yeah? Some of us, you know, when we think about the dining room table, thanks babe. Um, When we think about the dining room table, it brings back memories of good relationship, of good conversation. But for some of us, being around the the, the dining room table brings back memories of like tense confrontation, of being ridiculed. Um, some of us didn't even have a dining room table. We sat around the TV. Excuse me. 
Psalm 23 verse 5 says, like Pastor Jared spoke on this on Sunday, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I want to encourage you tonight. I'm going to slow down. I'm talking too quickly. I want to encourage you tonight that no matter where you've come from, no matter what your life looks like, that God has brought you here tonight for a reason. And he wants to invite you to come and not just sit at the table, but come and eat at the table where he's prepared an incredible feast for you. You know, what do you eat when you sit at God's table? There's so many awesome things that we eat at God's table. But the main meal is grace, undeserved favor. You know, another thing that we eat at God's table is healing. Isaiah 53 says that he was whipped and beaten so that we could be healed. Another thing that we eat at his table is freedom. I love this. Matthew 9:10 says, And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. In those days, when you reclined at the table, it was a symbol of freedom. And I love that Jesus um, invited sinners, invited tax collectors to come and sit in his freedom. You know, peace is another thing that we eat at God's table. John 14 says that Jesus gives peace like the world cannot give. Abundance is another thing we eat at his table. Psalm 35 says that God delights in us prospering and, 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 and blessing us. Purpose is another thing that we eat at his table. Ephesians uh, 2 says that God, that we are God's handiwork, that he created us to do his work that he's planned for us in advance. How do we sit at God's table? You know, I think there's two key things. One, we sit in his word. We sit um, in our quiet place. We spend time in his word. We let his word go into us and we're strengthened and encouraged by his word. That's the first, time, first thing. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a joy to me and a delight to my ear. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. The second way that we sit, or I believe we can sit at God's table, is, um, well, is by being in his church. You know, I think so much of the feast that God has for us is accessed through his church. And when you read about the early church, it gives us a bit of a glimpse of it. Acts 2, we're going to go 40, I'm going to read it off here, 42 to 47. Are we here? Are we there? It's coming. Do, 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 do. Okay, they devoted, they devoted themselves, so this is the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they got around each other, they connected and they ate and they prayed. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, the people of God. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who, who had need. So they were a part of bringing to the offering. That's why we do the offering in our tithes, Izzy, wherever you are. You know, they were a part of that and they were a part of giving to people who needed. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They didn't just come to church once or twice a week. They came to church once a day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They had each other over for dinner. They ate together and they connected and built relationships with sincere hearts. They were real with each other, honest with each other, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love that. And I believe this scripture gives us a clue that when we position ourselves in the center of what God's doing at church, 
we also get access to the feast that he has for us. You know, the disciples got access to God's favour and to his power because they were positioning themselves in the middle of what he was doing. You know, just like our dining table is in the middle of our house at home, God's dining table can be found in the middle of his church. Being in God's house is where you find his table. And when you include yourself in what he's doing here, when you don't just stand back and watch on, but when you actually jump into the middle of what he's doing here, you'll position yourself at the center of his house, being in connects, being at church, being a part of a team, being at starting point tomorrow if you're not already um, signed up. That's when you'll find your seat by actually being a part of what God's doing. But let's not just sit at his table. I don't want to just sit at his table. I want to eat at his table. Joel 2 verse 20, 26 says, You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you, and you will praise the name of, your Lord, of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Imagine going to dinner with friends, sitting at the table, watching all of them eat, yeah? Starving, but watching everyone else eat but ex except for you. Yeah, everyone's raving about how good their food is. Everyone's getting filled up, getting satisfied, and you're sitting there starving. That would be the most frustrating meal I would ever be at. You know, when you go through the motions, when you don't engage your heart, when you're reading God's word or when you're being in church and not opening your heart to what he's wanting to do in you, it's like you're sitting watching everyone else eat, but you're not eating. Yeah, you're watching everyone else grow. You're watching everyone else be filled up. You're watching everyone else's lives change. But if you're not choosing to eat, you're not going to change. You're not going to be filled up. You're not going to be satisfied. I love what Pastor Spencer said when I was chatting, him during, chatting, him, chatting to him during the week. He said, you know you're not eating if you're not satisfied. You know, when you're still unsettled, when you're still searching for something else. I want to encourage us, we need to open our spiritual mouth, open our heart and eat. You know, there have been different times in my life where I know that I have sat at God's table and eaten. And there have been times when I know that I haven't. I might have been sitting at his table, but I definitely wasn't eating. And my life was very different in those different seasons. You know, when I'm sitting and, and eating at God's table, I'm in his word, in his house, I'm being filled up. The situation around me may be chaos, but I've still got his peace and his hope and his strength, and it's anchoring me so I'm not swayed or shaken. I have every right to stress in those seasons, but for some reason, I don't. I don't need to. You know, when I don't sit at God's table, when my heart isn't open and I'm not engaging in what God's doing, you know, the situations around me hugely impact my, my heart and my emotional state. I don't have the same peace. I get stressed easily. I stop resting in God's grace. I get unsettled and I get distracted and I start looking around for other things to fill me up. You know, the main thing that has kept me away from taking my seat and eating at God's table has been my thinking. Our thinking has so much to answer for, hey? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. It's our rebellious and rogue thoughts that stop us from coming and feasting at God's table. You know, the issue is, is that most of the stuff that we think about and the things that we base our decisions on aren't even based on truth. You know, so many times I've thought something, I've made a judgment on it, made a decision about it, and then find out I've been completely off the mark. 
You know, for example, I thought the other week when I was at LeapFrogs, hmm, I'm going to rescue this stray cat. I'll just pick it up, take it up to my car, put it in my car. It'll be fine. As I close the door, the cat is literally trying to ram, like headbutt its way through all the windows in my car, trying to escape. And Chase and I are on the outside of the car. There's no way we can get into the car without the cat escaping and potentially tearing our face off. I didn't think that through. I thought it would be a good idea. It wasn't. Another thought that I have often, much to Ross's uh, dislike, near kids' bedtime. I'm like, let's have some fun. Let's have a dance party. You know, they'll go to sleep straight after. No, they won't go to sleep straight after. An hour later, they're still wired, and I've got a husband who is partly wanting to disown me, and my kids are running around, and I'm like, what have I done? I thought it would be fun. It wasn't. (laughs) Another thought that I have. I can go and do a healthy food shop when I'm tired and hungry. Sure I can. No, I can't. I walk through the shops and every every sweet and fatty thing that is on the shelf that is on sale comes into my, my trolley. Anyone else? I think to myself, I've been driving. Yeah, I've got some, I've got some friends. I, um, I think to myself as I've been driving around on empty for a while, I can get home. I've got enough, I've got enough petrol. No, I can't. And again, I get, have to get rescued by Ross, who partially wants to disown me, but he's gracious enough to keep his mouth shut and rescue me. You know, one of the most embarrassing moments I had when I thought something was happening, but actually my thought was not based on truth, and actually the thinking that I had was actually the complete opposite, was when I parked up at McDonald's, I had my four kids in the car, and I parked up, you know where you park at Joondalup and you park facing Joondalup Drive? And you know, Joondalup Drive is just down there, down the hill. So I parked up, we're all chatting and stuff like that, and then after about five minutes of chatting and getting the kids ready, I start to get out of the, the car. And I open my car door and I realise that the car next to us that has a whole group of teenage or like younger guys, probably young adults, standing around it. I'm like, their car's rolling forward. Their car's rolling forward. I'm like, your car's, ro- your, your car's rolling forward. And I'm yelling at them and they're running around their car like freaking out. And they're like, no, 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 your car's rolling backwards. Your car's rolling backwards. And I get back in my car. I get back in my car as it's like halfway into the car park, quickly drive forward. I'm like, sorry, my bad. And my kids are like this, so embarrassed. My gosh. Our thinking leads us to so many places and often not great. You know, the main thought that I, in the past, that has stolen my place at God's table and that's stolen my confidence um, from from being able to sit at God's table has been comparison. You know, we live in a culture where we, um, we live in a culture of comparison that causes us to feel insecure about who we are, which then causes us to try and cover up who we are. You know, for a long time, I compared myself to other people in church, other leaders in church, other people sitting at the table that God had set for them. And I thought to myself, gosh, they're so wise. Everything that comes out of their mouth is just full of like gentle. I used to look at Pastor Laura and go, she's just so gentle. I need to be gentle and gracious. And, you know, and I'd look at them and I'd be like, and they just seem to have it all together. And I've learned in the most respectful way that I can, Pastor Jared, that actually they don't actually have it all together. (laughs) But as I've come and sat and chatted with them, 
I've learned they don't necessarily have it all together, but they do hold on to Jesus who is holding it together for them. You know, when I compare myself to everyone else, my thoughts tell me that I don't deserve a spot at the table. You know, I think things like, if only they knew the messed up heart I had. Like, if only they knew what was going on in my heart. If only they knew the thoughts that I've been struggling with today. If only they saw the state of my room or our garage or our laundry, particularly today. If only they knew that I hadn't read my Bible in a week. If only they knew that I'd lost my poop this morning and yelled at my kids. If only they knew that I had like 1,500 emails that I haven't opened up because I was too overwhelmed to go there. If only they knew that I'm not too tired because I'm doing so much. I'm actually too tired today because I lack self-control and I decided to stay up and binge watch one of my shows until 3 a.m. <laughs> that I've added yet another pet to our menagerie at home. Like if only they knew, they, everyone probably does think the crazy animal lady, the crazy cat lady, I'm getting there. And even as I prepared this message, I had to battle thoughts, you know, of this is too simple. You know, people don't need this. It would be better if someone else preached this tonight. Constantly, constantly. And the truth is we all have mess going on in our life. We all have mess going on in our heart. And the only people who don't have mess, Pastor Spencer, are the people who are in heaven. You told me that one. Heaven. <laughs> so if you are not in heaven, chances are you've got some sort of mess going on in your life. But your mess does not disqualify you from the place that God has set for you at his table. You know, constantly, yeah, praise God for His grace. Constantly I have to remind myself that God says in Isaiah 1.18, though your sins are like scarlet, that He makes us white as snow. I will make, yeah, I thought there was another bit, never mind. In Revelation 22, He said, oh, it's there now. Oh, <laughs> playing games with me. Um, it's all right. Oh, though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. And then in Isaiah, no, in Revelation 22, he says, Come, whoever, whosoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He doesn't say, come, whoever doesn't have mess. He says, come, whoever de desires, whosoever desires. Even at the last meal before Jesus died, I love that he invited and he ate with the man who he knew had betrayed him. He ate with the man who he knew had turned him over to his enemies so that he was going to get crucified. And he also invited the man that he knew was going to deny him, yet he still invited them and they still ate together. So you know what I get from this verse or these verses is that God knows how broken and human I am. And yet he still accepts me and invites me to take my place at his table and to eat until I'm full. You know, in our culture, we're taught to really care about what other people think. You know, we're taught to, to compare each other's gifts, each other's personalities, our looks, our lifestyles, our houses, our clothes, our cars, our relationship status, our kids' behavior, our kids' development, our relationship with God. And when we think we're not good enough or not performing enough, we try to cover ourselves up. You know, we try to cover ourselves up with makeup, with filters, with lies, 
We project false images so that other people believe what we want them to see rather than what's really going on. You know, the other week I got myself stuck into a comparison trap against my husband. I started it. I didn't really realize it was going to go where it went, but it went. And, you know, for a while we've had this um, a bit of a competition that I started with the kids where I'm like, who's funnier, mum or dad? And they're like, dad. I'm like, right. <laughs> and then the other day I was like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end this. So at the table I was like, right, who's funnier? I'm like, dad. I'm like, no, okay. Who, what else did I ask? Um, who's a better chef? I tried to do all the things that I thought I was going to win, right? Who's a better chef? They're like, dad. Who's um, a better dancer? Dad. Um, who's the best cleaner? They're like, well, you're better at making us clean. But dad, I'm like, oh. They're like, um, who's better when you're sick? Surely the mum should get this. Dad. Who's better at treating you? Dad. I don't get it. Who's better at buying you treats? Still, I mean, like, like yummy things. Dad. Who's better when you hurt? Dad. Who's a better storyteller? Dad. Who's a better driver? Actually, I got that one. Who's better? I got another one too. Who's better at buying you pets? Because I'm the crazy animal lady. But then I was like, I was digging my hole, digging my hole, digging my hole. And then um, I was like, okay, that's enough. I'm, I'm in too deep. And I went, I left. I was like, I'm never doing that again. And he's like, but Ross is like, why did you do that? I'm like, I don't know, but I feel like, you know, poo. Um, but then I came back. Pastor Spencer gave me an idea. He's like, have you asked them who's better, who teaches you more about Jesus? So I was like, right. And I came back. I'm like, kids, who teaches you more about Jesus? And they're like, you. I'm like, done. The game is over. I won. You know, I, for so long, I compared my Instagram photos with other people. And I, my Instagram photos just always look naff. They always look rough. And everyone else has always looked beautiful and, you know, their skin looked perfect. And then I remember having a conversation with George one time and he told me about filters. <laughs> And I didn't know there was such a thing as filters and it made sense. Now, I've been comparing my real life self to other people that have been using filters or were unusually very good looking. But recently, I had a conversation with our 11-year-old daughter because she has a great, um, she uses Messenger to chat with um, her friend and it's fun and it's, it's fun and they're great. But um, what was I saying? But filters. We noticed that Lucy wasn't wanting to be um, on the video chat without having a filter on. So I was like, okay, let's have a chat. And so, um, you know, because with the filters, even the funny ones, it makes your skin flawless. I've actually got some photos. I hope it comes out. Right. So, oh, that's the, that's the last one. So look at these filters. This is Vicky, my friend. And look, she's got a filter on and her skin looks beautiful. Look at me, that's me, no, no filter. You see all the wrinkles, all the bags, all my pimples, all the red bits, but she has none. Okay, no wrinkles, she's got none. Next one. Even the funny ones, who's this? Jordan, even his funny one. He has no wrinkles, no spots, no freckles. And look at me, yeah, that, I've got a filter. I'll keep going, we'll just go quickly through this. This is me, no, look at my wrinkles, this is no filter versus Jazz with a filter. See, look how clear and perfect her skin looks. Next one, look at me with my wrinkles. There's another one of Jazz. I have a filter on there. See how I look a bit prettier, prettier there? Okay, keep going. <laughs> see there? Me and BC, look at my filter. See how I look? Okay, keep going. But look at this one. This is my favorite. 
But even with these funny filters, they're perfect. Isn't that funny? That's my favorite. We couldn't talk the whole conversation because we're laughing so much. But even all of these filters make your skin look beautiful. And we had to talk to um, Lucy and say, look, we need to stop getting used to seeing ourselves perfect and like that because when we look at ourselves so much with the filter on us and then we look at our real life, it can be really hard. And actually what ends up happening, we said to her, what ends up happening is when people get so used to seeing themselves through the filter, then they, might, they try and do more and more things to try and make themselves look like that filter and they're not okay with who they are. And so we said to Lucy, we want you to be okay. We want you to see you as beautiful without the filter, without the perfect skin. And I was chatting with um, Leah and, and Pastor Spencer about this during the week. And um, Leah said that, you know, but before when people went in to pl get plastic surgery, they take in a photo of a model or, a, or an actor, you know. But now what they do is they take in a photo of themselves with a filter on them and say, can you make me look like myself with the filter? It's crazy. Anyway, filters aren't bad. Makeup is not bad. I absolutely don't have a problem with them, but I do think that if we get to the point where we can't be seen without them, then that would be, to me, a red flag that perhaps we're relying a little bit more too much on the filter and the confidence that that gives rather than Jesus and the confidence that he gives. I want to encourage you. When you come to God's table, you don't have to wear a filter. You don't have to wear makeup. You know, I choose to. Um, you know, but come as you are. Come not needing to put any, anything false on. Be real with who you are. Be where you're at. Don't, we don't need to be polished. We're wanting to invite more people to come to the table that God has set for them. But if we make it look so polished and perfect, they will not want to come. They won't want to come because it's so far from their life. Now, I've been reading a Timothy Keller book and it's, it's called the, the Freedom in Self-Forgetfulness and it's so powerful. He says, in the past, what our, our thinking has been is that um, thinking too much or too high of oneself is what causes evil in people, right? In modern times, we flipped it. It's believed that the reason behind the evil things that people do is because people think too low of themselves. But he actually highlights Paul's strategy, the Apostle Paul's strategy, and it's different altogether. So 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Jesus Christ, Paul's talking, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of, who I, of whom I am chief. Not that I was chief, but I am chief, meaning he is currently flawed. He, is one, he was one of, the, one of the most influential leaders of all time, one of the, most, um, the best teachers. Yeah, great leader. My brain's gone. But he's saying he wasn't flawed. He is flawed. But then he also says in um, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 to 4, I care very little. Listen to this. This is a strategy. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. And when it says innocent here, it means justified. It doesn't make him justified. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul says he doesn't care what other people think of him. He doesn't ca even care what he thinks of, it, of him. Paul doesn't let his sins or anyone else's opinions affect his identity. I mentioned that before, at, when we sit at God's table, we get to eat from his freedom. 
And one of the best freedoms I've ever started to receive from God and from his table was the freedom from, of a, of a freedom from opinions. You know, Paul has taken himself out of the courtroom. He's taken himself off trial because he understands that Jesus has already been on trial in his place. And the verdict is already in. Our verdict on whether we have a right to be at the table, whether we are worthy, whether we are valuable, the verdict was already in. And the verdict was already in even before our performance. Because the verdict came when Jesus died on the cross. When He died on the cross in our place, the verdict says, you are worthy, you are valuable. You do have a place at God's table because of Jesus Christ. And so when you start talking bad about yourself, questioning your worth or your value, questioning whether or not you have a right to sit at God's table, or whether you, if you start worrying about what other people think, I wanna encourage you, catch those thoughts, throw them away, take yourself off trial. You're no longer on trial anymore. If you have Jesus in your heart, if He is your Lord and Saviour, you are no longer on trial. So you need to stop allowing your thinking and other people's thinking to put you back on trial. The only thing that matters now is how God sees you and God sees you the way He sees His Son. The Bible says in Matthew 3:17, This is my Son whom I love and with Him I am well pleased. He says that to you. This is my daughter. This is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. You know, there's a quick story, um, a parable in Matthew 22 that Jesus used. And he um, used this story to talk about who has the right to come to the, to the table of God. And um, he puts on a feast for his, his son and he invites all the people that he wanted to invite. None of them wanted to come. So then he sends his son, his servants out to the streets and say, right, just invite anyone. Good, bad, whatever, invite anyone. So everyone comes and enjoys the feast. And as the king looks around the the room, the only person that he looks at and says, you're not welcome here, is the man without his wedding garment. And in the story, the wedding garment actually um, represents Jesus. It represents having been clothed in Jesus, being clothed in righteousness, His righteousness. I want to encourage you tonight that God is inviting you to come and sit at His table. There is nothing that you need to have. There is nothing that you need to bring. You come as you are, but the only thing you need to have the right to come and sit at this table, to eat the feast, the food that is gonna satisfy you like no other food. The only thing that you need is to actually be clothed in Jesus, is to actually accept Him, invite Him into your, like realise and actually admit, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And actually let go and let God in and take Him in. And that is the only thing we need to have access to this feast, to the peace, to the hope, to the life, to the freedom, to the grace, to the love, to the forgiveness that God has got for you. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.